Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the next edition of the Sports Pro Stream Time Podcast. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the community lead at Sports Pro, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. Now, Nick, I'll answer the question before I hand it over to you because it's not always fair to, you know, put someone on the spot like that. But today's episode, we're going to be focusing on the sports tech space. And I think the question we should kind of start off with is what is the best technology or best app in terms of efficiency that you've ever used. For me, when I think about this, I'm actually going to go outside the sports world and I'm going to go say Shazam. For me, I just think it's the perfect app in the sense of there's a very specific problem that it's looking to solve and it just does it with the click of a single button. So whether you're just sat there and you, you can't remember the name of a song or you, you hear a song that you really like and you want to add it to your favorite playlist, I just think Shazam is the best. And, you know, for anyone out there not aware of Shazam, it's basically an app that if you hear a song, you can hit a button, it records and listens, and then it lets you know who it is that's doing it. And I just think, Nick, in terms of just the simplicity that comes with the app, it's the best one that's ever been created. You can agree, disagree, but let me know. Well, I'll tell you, I remember the Shazam app pretty well, and it would always let me down. Mm, but maybe it's because I was like out in very noisy bars and maybe the music was being remixed or whatever. But it never worked for me quite the way I've heard it work for others. So uh, I can't give it the glowing five stars that you would have given it. But quickly trawling through my phone now to see if any, any apps jump out. The one I look at the most is the weather forecast, weather app, and not because I care about the weather, but because my five-year-old son always wants to use my phone. I just let him look at the weather, and that's about it. So uh, there's that. Um, and I used to be a massive fan of Pocket app, which is it's an app where you you so you like have an extension on your Chrome browser, and you can save any page you want to read or listen to later. And it saves it so it's online or offline on your phone. So you can listen to it like a, you can listen to it or you can read it at any stage. And it sort of reformats all the paging for you. Uh, and I used to use that all the time. The problem now is I never have time to read all the stuff. I've got a backlog of about 100 articles now that I want to read. So uh, I've kind of almost given up using it a little bit. But for a while there, it was my go-to for a long time. Well, for any of our listeners out there, if you've got any other apps that you think are the best designed or the best user experience that you've ever had on your phone, definitely let us know. Like I said, Nick and I are both on LinkedIn very actively. You can find us on our Twitter handles. Definitely, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, oh, you guys missed out on a perfect app, do let us know. We'd be curious to hear what you guys think is the best designed app. Now, before we jump into the podcast, I'm going to tell a little bit of an anecdotal story, which I hope helps set up the podcast itself. Uh, you know, Nick, it's been scarily enough now four years since I joined Sports Pro. And it was a very big moment for me, probably just an average moment for you. But I can remember the first time we sat down in kind of an interview setting before I joined the company. And you sort of tested me a little bit on how well do you know the sports industry. Me being naive, I was like, hell yeah, I know the sports industry. But, you know, really, I just knew the sports. I didn't know the sports business industry. And you asked me, do you subscribe to any OTT platforms? I was like, yeah, I'm a big NFL fan. I've got NFL Game Pass. And you, you kind of turned around. You asked me, well, who makes the NFL Game Pass? And I was like, well, it's 
the NFLs. And what you were ultimately trying to do to get me to push me along a bit was say Delta Tray. Now, I know this example is a little bit outdated given the recent move, but the point I'm trying to make with all this is there are a lot of people, maybe not within the industry because they'll have a bit more of an understanding of how everything works, but there's a lot of people outside of the industry that have no idea how often or how frequently they've actually interacted with a platform that's powered by Delta Tray. And it just goes to show that the industry is more complex than it seems on the surface. So today we're really excited to be joined by the global head of innovation at Delta Trade, Pietro Marini. So Pietro, throughout the course of this interview, we're going to poke and prod you and try to get you to give us different insights in the tech industry. And uh, hopefully you're ready for the conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So for the first question, we'll, we'll kind of refer to it as a bit of a softball question. So help us get a little bit warmed up. It's an interesting question, I do think, as well, because we do have conversations with a number of different people and you hear different buzzwords, innovation being one of them. But depending on who you ask, that word is going to take on a different meaning. Now, obviously, we, we've shared your job title. It's got innovation in there. You know, perhaps you can describe for us in your role at Delta Tray and specifically also kind of looking at the Delta Tray Innovation Hub, how you would go about defining the term innovation? Well, Chris, this uh, really depends on the angle from which, uh, from which we look at it. Uh, um, as a consumer and end user, uh, to me, innovation is literally every change that affects the way I interact with products and services that I use and consume. If I were my head of innovation lab, what represents innovation to me and to us as, as a group is whatever we implement into our processes and, and products that brings tangible benefits and that can be easily translated in economical value, either for us or for our, our clients. Let's say to simplify uh, any change, regardless of, uh, of its level of disruption that adds value to, to our offering. And that's exactly what we do at the, at the Innovation Lab in Delta Trend. We basically support our business units in implementing technologies that are not part of, of our core today, and that can provide a transformative value to, to, to our whole offering. And I made a little bit of an assumption there based off my sort of anecdotal story that everyone within the industry knows Delta Tray and, you know, shame on any regular stream time listener that isn't aware of Delta Tray. But perhaps Pietro, just in case there is that one person listening that's not familiar with the business, could you just give a quick background on Delta Tray? Well, yeah, sure. Uh, as you as you as you were saying, we're we're really behind the scenes, meaning we are not uh, uh, often under under the spotlight. We are a company that was uh, funded in, in Italy in 1986. We started working uh, on uh, on timing and graphics. Then we moved on uh, to statistic and data collection and graphics. We started working also on the digital sphere, uh, web and app, in the in the early 2000s. And uh, now we're uh, between the market leaders in the space of uh, of uh, OTT uh, OTT platforms, uh, where we act both as system integrators of, of third parties as well as providers of, uh, of, of our own solution and products. And for those, for those that are listening, I guess, you know, Delta Trade has been one of those, those organizations that not only has been behind the scenes, but has gone through an incredible journey over the last, well, at least the last decade, if not longer, Pietro, and you've been a part of that for quite a while now. I don't know how long it was, I think 14 years, if that was my the numbers were yeah, correct. Yeah, I, 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 I've joined Delta Train in 2010 when I was uh, fresh out of high school, actually. Uh, I was an events operator here in Delta Train working uh, on mainly on, on, on football uh, or soccer. Um, 
and I made my way in in, uh, in in the company, focusing initially on the operational side. Uh, I started full time in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, my initial focus was process innovation, and then in 2020 we created the the innovation lab, which I now lead. And I think what's interesting about the Delta Trade journey is, you know, it's very Italian business at the time, a lot of roots uh, there and based in uh, around Turin, has a UK uh, headquarters as well, was acquired by Brewing Capital uh, several years ago. I'm not actually sure what year that was now off the top of my head, which took quite a lot of the industry by, not by surprise, but um, was a big moment for the industry to see that sort of uh, opportunity develop. And, and last year, um, was then acquired by uh, Bain Capital, which is quite a, a well-known investor into technology and sports, etc., uh, as well as Nextalia. So, been quite a quite a, a quite a journey for the organisation with changes and becoming very going from very Italian ownership structure and setup to having a very American influence. Um, just in terms about innovation, before we dig into a little bit about what you're doing. I guess has has that did you see uh, through your through that journey I guess up until now quite a lot of innovation happening in the business because of that change in ownership and, and change in management. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, consider that I I started working full time uh, when uh, the acquisition by Brewing already happened. So um, I was in the company even even before that, but I've experienced. Uh, uh, the first years of uh, of the brewing acquisition, and what was the most notable thing is the pace of growth of the of the company. Again, given the the, the relevance on the industry of our of our partners, we moved from being a company of uh, 300, 400 people. We've been we've always been very Italian, but uh, always had a, a very limited number of Italian clients. But still, we we moved from being a three four hundred people company to a more than a thousand people company. So there was a, a very, a very dynamic period. Obviously, that brought uh, a lot of challenges, and uh, at that point, we've seen true innovation happening. And again, to me, product innovation uh, is uh, is uh, at the same level as uh, as process innovation. And when you do such, uh, when you experience such a, a growth, uh, you do need a lot of process innovation. You need to 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 review our, your processes and and make sure that they 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 work. Uh, even in, in these changing situations. Looking specifically at the innovation lab, you know, I would think in the background, Delta Trey are the ones delivering innovation on behalf of your partners that are broadcasters and rights holders. Maybe talk a little bit how the innovation lab came to be, the role the innovation lab plays for the larger business. And then perhaps we can deep dive a little bit more into the types of businesses and technologies and innovations that you're looking for. Uh, well, why the Innovation Lab exists is strongly linked to what I just said. So a, a, a very significant growth in a pretty limited uh, period of time. Delta has always been a highly innovative company. We've been always been in an extremely dynamic uh, industry, uh, a very innovation-centered industry. When we grew significantly in, in the number of people, we got to a point in which obviously there were vertical units uh, based on, uh, on either geography, then later on product. And uh, I started seeing some duplication of efforts across different areas of the company, uh, which is always a pity, obviously, for sure. Uh, so it, I, I suggested to, to, the, to the executive management to create this uh, very small group of people, extremely technical in background, to sort of, let's say, not own the whole process, but try to coordinate the process across the different areas of the company. 
we're far from being the only entity within Delta Tri where innovation happens, and that's not something that we want to that we want to get to. But uh, we focus on, as I was saying earlier, technologies that are not part of our core uh, currently. When when we started, when we were established, uh, um, first of all, we positioned ourselves as the providers of proof of concepts. So we're not talking about full product A to Z development, but uh, supporting our business unit in identifying the need, identifying potential potential solutions and uh, proving that the actual solution is feasible from a technical, um, economical, whatever perspective. And we've always asked ourselves two questions. First of all, how can we improve the way we do things? So again, going back to what I was saying earlier, uh, a stronger focus on uh, process innovation, whether we're talking about operational process, uh, the way we deliver our services, uh, the way our development team work, the way we carry out tests and so on. And then obviously the second question is, uh, what features can we introduce into our products in order to provide a differentiating uh, aspects compared to, to competition? Our distinctive trait as a company is our 35 plus years experience in the industry, in the sports and entertainment industry. And that's exactly what we add on top of what is uh, known to be available from a, from a market perspective. Uh, last but not least, uh, we sort of naturally became uh, the first point of contact between uh, the company and the world of startups, uh, the startups ecosystem. I'm a strong believer of the fact that nowadays uh, you cannot think of doing uh, everything on your own, regardless of the size of the team, regardless of the capabilities within the team. So we put a lot of efforts into identifying uh, third-party technologies that uh, fit well within our offering. Uh, the goal is uh, obviously to uh, speed up the pace of innovation and to uh, increase uh, horizontally our our value proposition. And uh, let's say that today, if you are a, a startup and you want to engage with Delta Thread, the first people you speak to is uh, is uh, is myself and the and the team, and then we put you in contact with the right people within the company. Uh, we're trying to we're we're on the, in the process of uh, of establishing a, a structured process in order to optimize and maximize. Uh, the possible probability of, uh, of of extracting value from this kind of uh, of collaborations of potential collaborations. Pietro, I'm just curious that um, I mean I've followed Delta Trade for many years now, and and from outside looking in, that shift that you've described was would be I don't think it might fly under the radar for people to understand how significant that uh, transition to be someone who is actively working with a lot of different companies and technologies. Uh, outside of your own traditional uh, and own products and pro- uh, proposition, that must have been quite a transition for you to manage. That 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 transition for me, who I've understood Delta Trade to be one of the absolute leaders in building digital ecosystems, basically to how a client would want it, but doing a lot of it themselves rather than leaning on a third party providers. Was that a, is that accurate? Was that a big shift and an evolution in how the the organisation was operating then, or was that my bit off the mark? Well, um, it's it's interesting that, that that you say this. Let's let's say that ideally we have, uh, as you know, we're we're very strong in system integration in general for for our clients. So uh, there are some areas that are mandatory for for OTT platforms that we do not build ourselves, that we have never have, and that we probably will never will, will never never will. Uh, there are some cases more recently where we've seen that uh, internal development was just uh, not the right thing to do, mainly because of the of the of the speed of, of competitors, of, of the presence of actual established and less established players in the markets where we have uh, actually decided to partner uh, long term and thinking about, for example, the wash together capabilities, uh, everything concerning uh, 
live uh, in-platform, fine engagement, and so on. That's something that we have uh, consciously decided not to focus too much on, uh, while we've uh, focused more on the, let's say, deep tech side of, of our streaming platform works, which is obviously uh, our distinctive uh, distinctive uh, characteristics and, uh, and one of our uh, most, uh, most relevant uh, capabilities. We have always had this kind of interactions with the startup ecosystem. In many cases, this uh, didn't lead to, to actual value being delivered to ourselves, but also to, to startups. That's what uh, I'm really uh, trying, uh, trying to change. You know better than I do. We've, we've been through three, four years of uh, dramatic hype in the industry on any technology. It was, uh, it was a blockchain, it was NFTs, now it's generative AI and so on. It's even a challenge to, to being able to, to follow all of them. In the end, it's a, it's a matter of, of choosing whether to make or, or buy. We always will all have within the company, uh, very packed roadmaps. Uh, so I, I believe that in most cases, unless we're talking about something extremely relevant from a strategical perspective, uh, it's better to, to find someone to work with and then the collaboration can then translate into a partnership, into an, an equity acquisition, into a full acquisition and whatever. But let's say that uh, we're trying to to find a way for which uh, collaborating with uh, with third parties uh, adds value across the, the entire board, not just for ourselves. Uh, we don't want to be egoistic. Obviously, uh, we, we, we're doing, we say it's, it's, it's our business. So uh, we obviously have, a, have an upside there, but we want to have a, let's say a, a distributed, uh, an equally distributed uh, um, addition of value when, when we do this kind of, uh, of activities. So I find that point really interesting because it's something even for us looking inward at SportsPro talking about our events, very often speaking to people, they want to know what's the split of an event, you know, buy side versus sell side. And so often, you know, everyone always is interested in the rights holders because they think that they're the ones that are doing all the buying. And they would think of Delta Trail on the other side, given, you know, the clients that you work with that you guys are traditionally sell side. But what you just described there is actually quite the opposite. And, you know, for us, we get businesses like, oh, I want to be introduced to this rights holder. I want to be introduced to that rights holder. When the reality is they should be getting introduced to you at Delta Trey. And it's just I find a, a really interesting dynamic in the sense of the way people consider paths to success. They always want to go towards the sports properties without actually realizing that, there's an avenue to reach success by going through someone like Delta Trey. Yeah, no, I absolutely, absolutely agree. We're trying to change uh, the way we've uh, we're used at doing things in general. Uh, obviously, this is this is also also part of it. I think that our value in this sort of framework or, or ecosystem is the fact that uh, in the end we have access to the market. We're not the only ones to have it, but we have a, a very significant access to the market. This is on the on the startup side and on the client side we have the technical capability to, to see, to understand what truly is uh, a technology uh, or, or a company that uh, is worth uh, uh, testing and that has a high chance of delivering, uh, of delivering value. So we try to position ourselves as, sort of as, a, as a platform as we move forward. And again, what is key to me, and obviously you, you, you're, you're aware of the fact that there are very, a very large number of independent players just doing this kind of, uh, of, of activities, we have the possibility of uh, providing a set of uh, technology-oriented services as a platform that uh, non, let's say, non-industry players would struggle a bit with. I mean, you talked to Pietro about some of the clients you have you're working with, and and, and you know their sports properties. They're they're right across the globe. 
how are you seeing the conversation or maybe the, I don't want to say demands or the things they are looking for? How, how is that shifting? Was it, is it becoming smarter, more mature, more deeper in terms of the, the, what they're looking for and their requirements? Or are you still having to, I don't want to say hold their hand, but like really support them to, to shape all that stuff? Because I imagine my view is that my speculation is five to 10 years ago, maybe a bit longer, they didn't really know what they wanted. They just wanted something that um, served video and digital, um, that filled that digital video hole in their organization. Now I, I imagine that's changed a lot. Absolutely, yes. It, the, the, the change has been dramatic. Ever since we we started operating also on the more, let's say, broadcast side, now it's, uh, as you were saying, we, we had to hold hands uh, uh, tightly and closely to, to our clients and kind of shaping also their technical digital strategy and so on. Now there is a lot, uh, much more uh, expertise on the client side. They obviously, the world has changed a lot and they have internalized a lot of capabilities, not necessarily on the development side, but definitely on the, on the technical knowledge side. It's uh, which, which on, on one side, it's, uh, it's not bad, but uh, it's, uh, it was good also to be seen as the, uh, let's say standalone, unique technical partner, prefer partners and so on. It was a very, also a very good lockup uh, uh, strategy potentially, but at the yeah. same time, it's, uh, it's great to, to be able to being able to sit at a table and speak the same language and, uh, have the possibility of truly, let's say, bring into, to the client and to the market, something that really is, uh, is a potential game changer from a, from a, from a technology perspective, obviously I'm speaking as far as, uh, as, as innovation is concerned, there is much more awareness on, uh, on what is, uh, is needed. There are even roles that usually were not necessarily thoroughly seeked uh, within our clients uh, ecosystems and companies that are now the top within the top five decision makers so it's uh, it's great to see this uh, this shift looking more at specific innovations the the real hot topic right now and you kind of touched on it last year everybody was talking about web3 this year everybody's talking about ai i think ai is probably a bit more practical and that it feels it has more b2b applications whereas web3 is very much more consumer-led I think it also has some unfortunate ties into crypto and obviously the volatility there's kind of turned people off on that. Whereas although there are B2C applications with AI, I think because of what it can do from a B2B perspective, it's probably got more legs to last in terms of being an impactful long-term uh, piece of innovation. It's also, I guess, similar to Web3 and that blockchain wasn't new. We just found new ways to use the technology. It's not as if AI is necessarily a new concept but seemingly, you know, you're looking at things like ChatGPT. I think more organizations as well, like a WSC, things like that. AI is becoming more prevalent. How are you guys looking in the AI space or the particular sectors or applications of AI that you're looking to incorporate? First of all, the lab started in the end as a, an, an AI hub, basically. When I was saying we, we focus on technologies that are not part of our core. When we started in 2020, AI was not part of our core. I cannot even say that it's part of our core today. We're working in order to become a, a, what we call an AI company. It's a, it's a long and painful process, but I'm sure we will uh, we will get there. When we've when we've been tackling AI, we have tried to answer the first question that I mentioned earlier. So, how can we change the way we do things? I th AI is an amazing tool. It's uh, I think that ChatGPT is the first time. Uh, uh, since I, I, I started working in my position in which I was really struck by the, the actual output of, uh, of the, of the product of the service, however we may want to call it. And, um, 
just to give you an idea, we've been monitoring and working uh, with uh, large language models, so the previous uh, uh, GPTs uh, since uh, 20, 2021. It was one of the first uh, activities, uh, the, the first areas that we started focusing on. We have been dedicating some time to it, uh, not too much, mainly because, again, we were sort of betting on the fact that uh, one of the big players or, or, or one of the let's say, dedicated companies would have come up with something pretty game-changing in, in an adequate amount of time. And uh, we've reached, uh, uh, even for the users that we have in mind that we will sponsor and we try to, 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 to implement, uh, we've reached a level of, of accuracy and quality that is uh, really, uh, it wouldn't have been possible on our own, uh, even if we dedicated the last three years uh, uh, just to building, uh, building models and, and, and training them. So it truly was the first, uh, the first time uh, in my position in which it was, uh, I was really amazed by, by what I was seeing. Uh, going back to your questions, we've been splitting our activities around AI into three main categories. The first one, as I was saying, is uh, natural language processing and, and LLMs. Uh, the second one is video analysis, everything that uh, concerns the possibility of extracting metadata, additional metadata from, uh, from video footage. Uh, last but not least, uh, data, data analysis, whether users' data or or, or sports data is, uh, is a big focus of, uh, of what we do. In all cases, uh, we focus, uh, as I was saying, how, we can, how can we change what we do things? So automation, extraction of deeper metadata, and, and, and basically giving our clients the possibility of monetizing the huge uh, multimedia content uh, data lakes that they, that they have in many different ways. And we're talking literally about all, every kind of use cases that, that may come to mind. In addition to this, uh, we have uh, in the lab uh, some capabilities in, in mixed reality. AI is the true enabler, in my opinion, to, to mixed reality. So also that's something that is going to be particularly significant. It, it is starting to be particularly significant. It's going to increase uh, a lot uh, in the upcoming uh, months and, uh, and years. Yeah, Pietro, I'm curious. You, you mentioned a point there about it's a painful process to become an AI company. And I think everyone's looking at AI to solve a lot of problems, right? They're like, oh, that'll make us more efficient. We'll be able to make more content. We'll be able to do things easier, easier, easier. But talk us through why you, why you, you made that point, because I think it's an important one. Why is it yeah. such a difficult process to bring in something like AI into an organization, whether it be your own or to you know, a sports property or team? Uh, it really depends on what you're looking to to achieve in general. Obviously, there is a, a, a we we can assume that this is solved. The fact of capabilities, it still is a, a scarce capability worldwide. But we start seeing, uh, uh, especially junior people coming out of uh, universities with a lot of uh, of expertise and of knowledge in the area, which is something that, for example, for generic for classic software development, is uh, takes much more time to to build. I was, uh, between my readings, I was reading that 80% of AI-focused uh, uh, activities or innovations in companies fail. This is mainly due to the fact that uh, uh, non-technical, but also technical companies do not recognize the need of having also the structural architecture underlying layer that allows them to te test a model, build a model, train the model, and then deploy it. Uh, usually, we see a lot of very nice prototypes that work on my workstation or on the internal uh, internet of the company and so on, but they do not scale there and that cannot be deployed on a large scale as uh, we, would, uh, we would have to do. This is why we've been dedicating a lot of time, almost uh, a full year to the development of the internal structure to, 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 to manage uh, and, and, deploy, and deploy the models that we will be working on. 
Then again, going back to what I was saying earlier, it's a matter of what you need to do. Uh, in some cases, uh, Microsoft Copilot could save your life. In other cases, uh, using a service uh, from AWS uh, is fine and works uh, just fine for what you need to do. In our cases and in our clients' cases, we do need uh, some sort of uh, specification on the actual domain. And that's where we come in. Uh, I'm not, I'm, we're never going to build a new LLM uh, because there are providers that do it, do it really well. We want to focus on the actual adaptation of what the provider sells and make it uh, extremely effective in our specific domain. And, and I think that tech companies that are outside of the big uh, uh, five or six uh, uh, should be focusing on is how, do, how can I maximize the value of something that is uh, available on the market from one of the most known providers? How can I really link it to my specific use cases, to my domain? Uh, if we're talking about, for example, video analysis, Video analysis, generic video analysis does not work on sports. It doesn't work. If you take uh, Amazon X-Ray, it will not work on a, on, a, on, a, on a football match per se. It needs uh, training, it needs uh, uh, customization, it needs tailoring. And that's what we can, uh, when we can add. And then obviously we want also to build what allows us to have the flexibility of being able to cherry pick the best of, of the various providers. Uh, we don't want to link ourselves to one specific uh, uh, provider or one specific service, we want to have the possibility of, 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 of really choosing what works best. So one of the things I would ask, and this is really for me looking for an answer in layman's terms, is there anything you see with AI you think is a misconception? I think for me, when Web3 came out, I thought one of the big issues it had was the way it communicated and it created a lot of misconceptions and impacted people's understanding of what it actually was. With AI, they talk about, oh gosh, this is going to be something that's going to cause people to lose their jobs because now machines are going to take over and do everything for them. Is there anything with AI you've seen, heard, um, that you see people talk about in the industry you think is just something, it's not quite correct or something you think needs to be understood by people that there may be and their fundamental understanding of the application just isn't quite on the mark? Uh, yeah, uh, it's 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 a conversation I've been having a lot with my with my team, especially with the, with my technical lead. The 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 fact is that uh, AI is not magic, and that's something that we we hear a lot. But AI is not magic. AI is way more stupid than we would think, at least today. And it's a tool. In the end, it's a tool. So it all depends on uh, on on the use you make of it. Uh, that makes the difference between a successful uh, initiative or or, or one that that, that that fails. So I think, again, the misconception is uh, exactly this one. So understanding that whatever you do requires a lot of work in order to make it uh, effective for the specific use case. I'm talking about scalability in general. So being able to, to tackle all the use cases that you may want to tackle for a specific domain is not something that with a snap of fingers or, or, or in, a, in a millisecond works. Uh, I remember when I started my my career in, uh, in in innovation and AI in particular. The first thing I did was, uh, and it's something I also suggest to everyone in general, but to 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 all the executives in Delta Three as well. Uh, I've suggested it uh, since day one. I followed a, a, a course from Deep Learning, Andrew Ng, AI for beginners, really starting from no, from nothing. And and he starts by saying that uh, in general, AI is capable of doing what a human could do in two or three seconds. Obviously. There's a possibility of scaling it up a lot, but the concept still today stands and, and stands uh, pretty significantly. So again, 
it's not magic. It's not, uh, machines are not going to conquer us tomorrow. It's a matter of how, of, of the use you make of it. It's, it's really a matter of how you're, how good you are in, 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 in scoping the, the specific activity that you need, uh, uh an AI, an, an AI system to, to do. Uh, Pietro, the notion of AI, particularly in sports and sports media and digital, most of the conversation has probably largely been around content clipping and a highlight creation. Um, but can you give us some examples of other um, you know, use cases of AI that you're currently either implementing or using and seeing um, actively being used at some scale, I guess, across the industry right now, perhaps with your clients or wider than that as well? If we're talking about uh, about OTT, uh, I think that there is a lot around uh, the concept of, uh, let's say, geographical, the increase in geographical reach. If we're thinking about uh, uh, subtitles, automated subtitles, uh, automated captioning, automated translation, there is a lot that can be done at a good quality. It's still not perfect. But it also depends on your strategy. If I'm thinking about uh, uh, an entity that is strong in an English-speaking lang- uh, country uh, and that wants uh, French and Spanish as additional languages, uh, I wouldn't probably automate uh, French and Spanish if they were the two languages I, I wanted to focus most on. But German, Italian, Portuguese, why not? I mean, it's, it's something that, that that's, is already today capable of delivering a pretty good, uh, a pretty good quality and acceptable quality. I'm seeing a lot of stuff, not necessarily just in, uh, in sports, uh, of generated automatically generated comp- content that in my opinion are, is, it's still way subpar. It's something that if it was me choosing, I would probably not uh, be happy to, to publish in production and to, and to open to, to, to end users, but we will be getting there pretty soon, probably. It all depends on the strategic relevance of a specific market, of a specific country, of a specific, uh, let's say, demographic. Everything concerning data and data analysis is uh, now pretty much uh, widely widely known, widely available. Um, I, I, I think, to me, the best example of, uh, uh, let's say, match facts or, our, or advanced KPIs, advanced statistics uh, from an entertainment perspective. So not, not let's leave aside the, the coaching uh, uh, part uh, or the or deep analysis uh, analytics part. I'm talking about for fun engagement. Uh, there's the work that the DFL has done, which is probably the the first in 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 football uh, with with AWS and and STS, as well as uh, what Formula One does with AWS, which is, uh, in my opinion, from a fan engagement perspective, the the true innovation that we've seen in the last year. I mean, it's something that keeps me glued to. Uh, two hours plus uh, broadcast, which uh, is not necessarily something I would be willing to follow unless uh, I was fed with this, uh, let's say, immersive, because in the end, uh, it's, uh, it's a matter of a better understanding what is going on, KPIs and so on. As you were saying, a lot, of, uh, a lot on, the, on the clipping side, you mentioned WSC, they're definitely a reference uh, in regards to, to that. But again, it, it, it's back to what I was saying earlier. It's, it's a matter of... Uh, how can we innovate? What can we change in the way we do things? And in the end, at the end of the day, it's as simple as that. We have a tool that, uh, we now have a tool that allows us to really um, seek efficiency in a very, very precise way to increase uh, the quality of what we produce as an output. And it's a matter of, uh, of making it work and of, of, of finding a way to deliver consistent value, sustainable value in the long term. 
In terms of innovation, like I said earlier, 2022 was the year of Web3 and 2023 seemingly is the year of AI. Is there anything, whether it's something you're specifically looking at with the innovation hub or it's just something you working in this space that you're just generally keeping your eye on? Is there anything that you think is exciting or potentially it's the idea that is really good where the technology is maybe not quite where it needs to be to actually pull it off, but we're getting really close to it being a real life application. I'm just curious to know if there's anything that you've sort of got your eye on that you think, you know, going into 2024 is going to change the way people, you know, view things, you know, maybe it's Apple and the new goggles that they've come that are coming out. I'm just curious to know if you think there's anything out there that is going to be equivalent to this year's AI or last year's blockchain and web three. Yeah, uh, um, not necessarily uh, 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 such a jump as uh, from Web3 to, to AI, but I think the, the, the thing I'm most excited for today is uh, uh, generative AI applied to videos. Again, we've seen that there is already something it's not really too impressive from a qualitative perspective, but I think that's going to be a pretty significant game changer in all, in every industry from from marketing to, 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 to Hollywood, literally. And, and sports will obviously be... Be, be impacted as well. I don't know if it's going to be 2024 because I know that it's uh, extremely more complex than what we have uh, been seeing uh, up until today. It's definitely way more comp- complex than, than text. Then, yeah, you were mentioning Apple so with, the, with the Vision Pro. It's, uh, I, 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 I don't know, honestly. I, I'm really, no, nobody knows, but I'm, I haven't made up my mind yet. Uh, what I really liked about, uh, about the, the presentation that they had is the fact that they have never um mentioned uh, uh um they've never mentioned ai they've never mentioned the, the buzzwords they've never mentioned the metaverse uh, the buzzwords that the, in the end ended up hurting uh, who was uh, who was uh, providing them uh obviously they are marketing uh, geniuses so i wouldn't have expected anything uh, anything less from them honestly if you're to- if, if if you're asking me i think that there is value there in uh, in immersive experiences as a whole I do not think it's, uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the meta vision, to be fully honest. There are, there already are some experiences that in some cases have proven to be, to be successful in the Web3 sphere. I don't know, I'm not talking about the, the, the um, let's say, monetary part or the speculation part. I'm talking about the, the actual fan engagement part. Uh, um, in, in our industry, I think that uh, what the Australian Open did, uh, I think 2022 was the first year. It's amazing and it's the only thing that kept me awake at night trying to purchase uh, uh, on, the, on their website. So again, there is value there. It's a matter of packaging it uh, in a way that, first of all, is, uh, cuts off all the speculation side that is uh, uh, highly toxic uh, per se. And, um, and that in the end adds value to, 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 for, for, for the end user, whatever that kind of value is. Obviously, a collectible is something that you also do for speculation, but it's a collectible. It's something you want to collect. By definition, uh, I, I mean, I think it, it will come back. It will come back pretty significantly. It hasn't died, obviously, yet, uh, nor nor will uh, ever ever will. But I think that uh, Apple probably will also be a pretty significant boost. Maybe not with the first version of what they're building, uh, what they've built, uh, but in the following one. So I think again, probably not for twenty twenty four, but but later on. Pietro, when you're looking at innovation for with with a client or within your organization. 
I'm always curious that when, particularly for outward facing, uh, let's say for some of the clients where you've got outward facing businesses that are connecting with fans or audiences, there's a real pressure on delivery from day one because iterating and trialing too much in public can be very risky to the relationship you have with a consumer. Just what's your experience or what's your sort of thoughts on that notion about how do you, how do you approach an innovate? Like you want to innovate on a product. How do you go through a journey there to ensure you minimize the risk in that, in that experience at that moment? Uh, when we're talking about products, uh, I think that the approach is twofold. On, on one side, there are things that our clients ask, so in which we're fully reactive uh, with, a, with a limited productivity. In that case, we, we develop, we test, uh, it works, we show it to the clients, uh, and then, and then it's, a, it's a matter of, uh, of it's, pretty, it's pretty straightforward from that perspective. When, on the other hand, it's talking about something that we propose proactively, uh, I'm thinking about, uh, um, again, going back to generative AI and then the, the automated generation of play-by-plays or uh, commentaries or, or templatized articles. It's obviously, it's, it's a matter of, first of all, building a, 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 an open relationship with the client, an open and honest relationship with the client. We don't, we, we tend, uh, actually, I, we, we also always tend not to overpromise anything and to onboard the client as soon as possible into any specific venture that we may want to tackle jointly. Once you prove it with one or two clients, uh, you're then confident enough to have it as a, uh, let's say, standing feature within the product uh, and to go to the market with that feature being also sponsorized. But in general, as I was saying, consider that we as a lab, our clients are internal clients. So we work for our business units. Then uh, commercial teams uh, uh, often include us in conversation with the client where we, we, we present ourselves exactly for what we are. So we do explorations. We, don't, we, we will not come to you with the a uh, full final product that uh, you're ready to to use from day from day one but we are very happy to sit at a table with you understand what are your challenges i then understand together how we can tackle them and then having you on board in the development process obviously not all clients are always happy to do that uh some and, and this is something that has been increasing a lot some are very very happy to do to do it and i've seen again uh, lately there has been a, a pretty pretty significant spike in the interest that, that, that also our clients have in, in doing so. What uh, we bring to the table uh, that wasn't a possibility before we existed as a company is that we do this without asking uh, anything. It's, we do it, let's say, for free. It's, uh, it's obviously there is uh, access to data that which is required for specific models and so on. But in general, we're very happy to, to, to speak openly to clients and to try to understand together how we can solve their most, uh, their most urgent issues. Then there is a lot of innovation, and, and to be honest, it's most of what we have brought to, to the company up until today, which is behind the scenes. So the clients don't really know about, uh, not necessarily care about, uh, and that just it's just there, it works, uh, it's, uh, it's, it, it makes us more efficient and gives us uh, the possibility of being more, more accurate into what we do. That's in terms of introducing the new things you're talking about and collecting data, quality of experience. Do you go into a review having specific metrics that you're looking at, you know, as you're building out these new features in a platform to say this has been a success? I think one of the things is not just innovating for the sake of innovating, but to your point, how it's actually positively impacting the user experience. You know, how frequently, like usually if you're innovating, is this one you guys feel really confident about is going to be a game changer 
or are there times where you're like, this has been a good feature, but it's not necessarily delivered tangible impact? I'm just curious sort of how you balance out the review process and the approach of we want to innovate. We want to do things that are really going to blow people's minds, but we also want to make sure that it complements the core of the experience and watching sport itself. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that has been um, something that we had to grow into as we, as we grew as a team. Uh, grew in number, but most importantly, we grew in experience. Obviously, we, we, we are a technical team, so we're very excited for everything that is new, that is uh, available on the market. We are aware of the fact that we are a small team because it's, uh, it's nine of us today. So in, in, a, in, a, in a thousand people uh, company. So we're, we're a small piece of the company and we're aware of all the limitations that, uh, that this brings to us. Uh, we've had to tackle this from a process perspective. So we dedicate most of our efforts only to things that we know have uh, uh, value for either ourselves, our products or the client themselves. Uh, obviously this is to a certain extent a, a bit uh, uh, limits us a bit, especially when we're talking about the second and third horizons of innovations. At the same time, the company needs uh, this kind of uh, of, of continuous uh, uh, funneling uh, in in products and in processes from an innovation perspective. So we we minimize the the risk you were mentioning by having a very thorough uh, uh, process at the beginning of uh, of the selection phase to to truly making sure that we dedicate time to what really has uh, has a value. So the challenge, obviously, for I think every innovation team that does not uh, work on full product development. The challenge is, is always to making sure that what you deliver from either a, a prototype or proof of concept perspective is then implemented into production. We can uh, try to minimize this risk just by making sure that we work together with our clients, again, internal clients or external clients uh, jointly so that there is actual effort from both sides uh, put into the, the actual innovation. Then obviously we are tech people, we love to innovate, we love to explore. So we save some time, significant time also for exploration. Uh, that is something that is more, let's say, forward looking uh, rather than in the immediate uh, six, month, six to 12 month uh, uh, time frame. But it's, it's more based on a building block, block approach. So again, just building the, the small pieces that, uh, that we, we know we need for potential solutions and trying to, to, to put them together almost like a puzzle in the best uh, in the best way. But I mean, obviously it's, it's a risk we try to minimize. We will never be able to, to completely remove this risk. Petro, um, I'm curious, when, so taking a step back away a little bit and looking at perhaps the, the digital ecosystem and digital platforms generally, where, where do you see is the need fundamentally for the biggest innovation in the industry or biggest focus of innovation? Is it, for example, is it, front-end uh, user experience? Is the user experience that's the problem? Is it the back-end CMS and back-end infrastructure to deliver the content? Is it the connectivity of data? Or is it the content production, which we've talked a little bit about through you know, things like AI and optimization there? And then for, or is it monetization? Generally, that is an area that needs the most innovation to fund some of this thing. Are there any particular areas that you think from your your expertise and what you're seeing at Delta Trade that need to really have the most innovation, not just internally, but indeed across the industry? Yeah, uh, well, uh, to answer the question, this question, which is uh, not an easy question to, to, to answer, no. we, I think we, <laughs> we should start from what are, in the end, the needs of our clients. So what is the voice of customer? We know that mm, the industry as a whole 
is uh, is suffering a bit this shift in habits from uh, from end users. Uh, there's always the, the 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 famous talk about Gen Z, their willingness to spend for sports content, their interest in the sport content himself. I was reading a, a report earlier on of the fact that uh, the number of people that watch uh, seven plus hours of uh, of footage. Uh, of sports footage a week has decreased by 50% or something like that. So there is definitely a shift there. Uh, there are some lessons and learnings that we may try to take from the world of, of esports in general that may also apply to sports. In the end, what what our clients need are, are, are fans that are attached to the brand and that are willing to to, to, to interact with the brand at, at, at whatever level, maybe be by, by purchasing merchandising by watching a game by subscribing to a membership or whatever obviously fans bring everything else it brings uh, money from media rights it brings advertisement it brings merchandising whatever so this the easy easy answer is uh, the front end part so the, the fan engagement part if we dive a bit deeper into it i think that uh, you mentioned two very important aspects first of all the harmonization of the back end so making sure that all the all the all the operations and all the data is uh, handled and managed in an harmonized way, which is often not the case, especially when we're talking about different provider, provided, different providers providing different, uh, different bits and pieces of, uh, of, of one single platform. And then the fact that uh, we've been talking about data analysis, uh, data science for the best part of the last four or five years, uh, and no one today would uh, answer, no one, maybe less than 20% would say that they are happy with the way their data is, uh, is handled or managed or monetized. So there's a lot of work to be done there. I think it's, it is technical innovation, yes, but it's most importantly creative. Mm, interesting. Well, look, sound, sounds like you've got plenty of, uh, plenty of work ahead of you to be innovating on, that's for sure, in, in the lab. And hopefully we'll see some of those areas uh, evolve, not just in Delta Tray, and look forward to seeing what you guys bring to the table and indeed what we see across the wider industry. But Pietro, that is all we've got time for. Uh, a big thank you for joining Chris and I on, on the podcast today. Thank you. It was, a, it was a huge pleasure. Thank you very much. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the SportsPro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast.